1: Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with
2: White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hello, this is Sam Massiface, and thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Today, myself and Alex Crook reacted to the heartbreaking interview with Deli Ali, which is done with uh, Gary Neville. The former Tottenham player has explained the trauma he's been dealing with since his childhood and his addiction to sleeping pills. The conversation covers some upsetting topics so just make sure you're aware. Uh, we're also gonna to speak to the new Bournemouth manager Andoni Eraola about his plans for the football club. And could Jordan Henderson be tempted by a 700,000 pound a week salary in Saudi Arabia? We'll discuss that career option and whether he could leave Liverpool. Very different morning to what we think we were expecting when I boarded the train in Manchester at 5.55 uh, this morning. I've sat down as soon as I walked into the office today and watched the whole 43-minute interview uh, with Gary Neville and Delhi Ali on his Overlap YouTube channel. Uh, Ali revealing that he checked himself into rehab for an addiction to sleeping tablets. He also revealed that he was molested as a child by a friend of his mother's. I must admit, uh, you, you saw me, I was sitting down opposite you whilst I was watching it. It was an emotional, it was a heart-wrenching experience watching that and listen, he was very brave to come out and talk about some of the issues that he discussed during that interview and it puts a little bit of context behind the downturn in form that everybody's noted over the last few years.
3: Yeah, it does. And and as you say, I could see that you were visibly moved by what you were watching, some harrowing revelations from Deli Ali, um, some of which uh, I was aware of, but certainly not the, the stuff about his childhood and, you know, what went on with his family friend, if you like. And I think sometimes we're guilty in this industry, football fans are guilty of thinking that footballers are in some way immortal. Uh, but actually they are just like you and I and they're still prone to the you know, the same troubles of life that affect a lot of people. And I think, as you say, they're very brave from Delhi Ali to come out and speak. Uh, I think it's slightly sad and a sad reflection of our industry. The reason that he chose to speak now was because the newspapers have got hold of the fact he'd been in rehab and were hounding him, in his words. So, so maybe there's a, a few people who need to take a look at themselves over that. But I think also, you know, people who criticise Delhi Ali over the last few years for the way that his career has on the face of it declined might be feeling a little bit guilty this morning because it just shows that you you never know what
2: goes on behind closed doors yeah i think you know listen he's quite open about it and he says i put myself in some of these positions Mm. so i made it easy for people to criticize me um but ultimately there's there's a couple of stories here there is there's a multitude of different layers to to the reasons behind why he's had issues there are a load of reasons as to why he's decided to come out and talk about it one of them is that he wants people to learn from his own experiences and he wants to inspire others to seek help when they need it because he says one of the best things he's done is go into this rehab facility in the United States and he says he'd come out in a, a mentally better place and he's, he's also talked about the fact that actually he's excited about what the future holds now He's excited about going back into football. He's got his passion back for the game. And he's only 27 years of age. This is a guy with a, with a future ahead of him. He talks about his career, actually. He says, you can't look back in the rear view mirror and sit there and think to yourself, I want to get back to that. What he wants to do, he says, is be better than that. He wants to be better than the player that twice won Young Player of the Year. He wants to be better than the man who was the fulcrum of that Tottenham team that wowed everybody under Maurizio Pochettino. He wants to go forward, and I think that is that that that's got to be the culmination of this story. There's a lot of hot, harrowing revelations in it. Some of them are very very uncomfortable. I and mean, please go and seek it out, watch it, go through it. You know, he he's opened up about the fact that he was molested by his biological mum's friend in his house at the age of six. At seven, he started smoking. At eight, he was dealing drugs. He was sent off to Africa to learn discipline um, at the age of of seven years of age. And by the time he was 11, he was being hung off a bridge by a man from a local estate. He said at one stage, you know, when when his mum decided that he had to be adopted, he had to be moved on. It was because otherwise he didn't know how it was going to end. You know, he he was saved by his adopted family at the age of 12. And actually, the only period in his life where he's been stable is probably between the ages of 12 and 16. This is, it it sounds sort of quite crass to say he was dealing drugs at eight. But he was told by an older guy, if you go around on a bike, an eight-year-old isn't going to get stopped when they're dealing drugs, not by the police. So he used to go around with a football on the front of his bike and have drugs stuffed up his T-shirt and he would deal drugs. Because he knew that he'd get away with it because the police weren't going to stop him because he was a kid.
3: And and you can't erase those memories. It doesn't matter that he's gone on to have a a successful football career, that he's become, uh, as a result of a a God-given talent, uh, a multi-millionaire that he's played for his country uh, in a World Cup semi-final. He will still be haunted, as as he's admitted in this interview, by those childhood experiences. And as we all know, what happens in in your childhood shapes your adult life. And and, uh, I think, as we've mentioned already, it is... Very brave of him to come out and speak so candidly to Gary Neville. Brilliant interview from Gary as well. And hopefully this can be a a cathartic experience for Deli Ali now, now that he's come out and admitted some of the issues that have followed him around. And it, it can give him freedom and freedom to go and express himself because he was brilliant for England during that run to the World Cup semi-final. He was brilliant, as you mentioned, for Tottenham under Maurizio Pochettino. And if he can get back to those levels and if he can maybe become an even better player than the one that we've seen in the past. Well, that's good news for Everton, isn't it? They've got a heck
2: of a player on their hands. Yeah, he's had to deal with so much and we will talk about some of the other issues that sort of come and spin off from this. One of them being that he said, look, you know, I was addicted to sleeping pills because when I finished a game, the adrenaline was blown flowing through my body and so often doctors the doctor of the, the club will give a sleeping pill to a player so they can get some rest because they've got to be up the next morning and go to training etc it's a normal practice happens everywhere but the problem that he encountered was that he became dependent on them and then that dependency became an addiction when he realized that what he could do was take lots of these sleeping pills and it would numb the pain suppress some of the emotions mm-hmm. that have uh, been bubbling up inside of him during the course of of his life it allowed him to forget almost you know he said he's got a defense mechanism he makes jokes he smiles all the time he has a laugh and he said you know sometimes you people will see him and they'll think everything's okay but it hasn't always been okay he's burying it he doesn't open up to people because of the the way his childhood went he felt like he couldn't open up to people because he was always waiting for them to take advantage of him or to to dump him to ditch him. (laughs)
3: And I think there's still that macho society in in football as well, when actually these kind of conversations in dressing rooms amongst teammates, no matter how close they are, probably still aren't really encouraged. And maybe again, Deli Ali speaking about what I think is is quite a big issue in football when it comes to the addiction to sleeping pills. Something that he alludes to. It might just encourage players up and down the country to tackle their own demons. So this can only be positive, this interview. And as you've mentioned already, anyone who hasn't seen it, Watch it. it. It's painful at times, but I think you know the overall result
2: is going to be positive, not just for Deli Alley, but for football in general. Yeah, we talk about that uh, incident involving Jose Mourinho, where he uh, has the conversation with him. It's been widely publicised. You've seen it on the All or no- Nothing documentary. But there's so much more to that that he explains as well. He talks about his relationships with Harry Kane and Eric Dyer, and how those two players, in particular, were quite brutally honest with him at times and said, "Look." what are you doing? Why are you going down this road? And he would just shrug it off and suggest that there's nothing wrong. But he said he values those friendships because they didn't just sit there and go, yes, Deli, yes, Deli, yes, Deli. They said, what are you doing? They questioned his behaviour. They tried to hold him to account. And Eric Dyer in particular comes out of it as someone who's obviously tried his best, very best, to try and help Deli Alli to refocus himself. And he talks about Sean Dyche and how they haven't really even spoken about what's to come in terms of football over the course of the next few months for him, because he's got a year left on his Everton contract. But they have talked personally about what he can do to get fit. He's currently injured. He's had an operation. He thinks he needs a couple more weeks to get up to full fitness. And he does want to play a big part this season. He says, right now, it's about getting on the pitch and showing what I can do. We haven't got a long view yet, but I need to get fit. That's only a couple of weeks away. And I'm ready for a big Season. There's so much to discuss with it. There's so much to reflect on, and we'll do that. And we'll take your calls as well. Because one of the things that Deli Ali says in by opening up, if he helped anyone, just one person, by coming out and discussing the fact that he needed to go into rehab to deal with his problems, then it says he says that the interview has done its job. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station. Talk sport. We revert back to that interview with Delhi Ali's given and today we've had some information from Everton who have uh, given us a statement about the situation they say the club has been supporting Delhi in both his return to fitness and overcoming his personal challenges highlighted in the interview with the overlapping Gary Neville. Everyone at Everton respects and applauds Delhi's bravery to speak about the difficulties he has faced as well as seek the help required. The physical and mental welfare of all our players is paramount importance. The club takes very seriously Seriously, it's responsibility in protecting the confidentiality confidentiality of its players and staff. Delhi will not be conducting any further interviews in relation to his rehabilitation, and we ask that his privacy is respected while he continues to recuperate from injury and in receives the full care and support needed for his physical and mental well being.
3: Well said, uh, and I think we all agree with that. I think Delhi Ali has said what he wanted and needed to say and I think he should now be given the freedom to try and and resurrect what was a a stellar playing career and and as I mentioned already if if he can get back to anywhere near his previous
2: levels then Everton have got a very good player on their hands. Yeah, and incredibly moving and heartbreaking from Delhi Alley. Just goes to show that anyone can go through mental problems even on the very big stage. I really wish him all the best with his club and hopefully England in the future. Also really hope that Daesh understands and helps him along the way. Mental awareness is so important. That's from Elliot, the West Ham United fan. Thank you to everyone who's got in touch today as well, including Mark in Liverpool who joins us now. You're through to uh, Alex and I. What do you want to say?
1: Hi guys, yeah. Um, I'd I'd like to start by ap- apologising to Dele Ariad in the last two years, slugging him off, if that's fair, or oh, he's done, he's not bothered, too much, too soon, he's got a smile on his face in the interview with Jose Mourinho on that documentary, and it just goes to show you can, we can all think that we know what's going on mm. inside someone's head, and, and you know, that's right, he's, he's a multimillionaire, he's done, he's not bothered anymore, and I, I, I'm just sorry, I'm sorry for taking that judgement, i somebody I know nothing about. Do you know what's interesting and you say about the smile,
2: Mark? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just I think that it's really important to talk about that smile. He actually discusses this in the interview in which he says that he has a defence mechanism which is the, the laughing, the joking, the putting a smile on, the sort of <laughs> that sort of giggle that he does in that in, in that particular moment that you're referring to in that documentary. Yeah. He says he uses yeah. that is what he uses as a defence mechanism. Yeah,
1: and, 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 and like I said, I'm, I'm wrong, and it's quite clear. Many, many, many other people are going to be wrong as well. The lad needs a bit of space, he needs a bit of time, and hopefully, for himself, I don't care who he plays for, for himself, he could turn himself into prime Deli Alley and move on with his life. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard of it. Outspoken with White and Jordan.
2: Looking forward to speaking to the brand new Bournemouth manager. They caused a bit of a shock towards the end of the season when they, uh, well, after the end of the season, when they sat Gary O'Neill at the end of the campaign, replaced him with Andoni Ireola, who had just steered Rayo Vallecano to 11th in La Liga. But what's he like and what are his plans for the season? Let's find out more about him because he joins us now. Andoni, good morning to you. Thanks for coming on the programme. Good morning to all. Thank you very much for uh, uh, joining us here live on TalkSport. You masterminded Rayo Vallecano's first win over Barcelona in 19 years during your tenure. You took Mirandes to the semi-finals of the Copa del Rey. You took Larnaca into the Europa League group stages for the first time. You seem to have a little bit of a habit of punching above your weight. What are your plans for Bournemouth this season?
4: Yes, I've been successful. I've been lucky. I've been lucky. I've, uh, I have had very good players and uh, I found uh, good opportunities also for my for my career and uh, now we start again Uh, every year is the same now with uh, new faces for me all the players I have are like new signings and uh, we will try to keep the good things that uh, team was doing past season and obviously we will try to give our our own identity so uh, we are we are more comfortable or, or the way I see the the, the, the game and Andoni it's been well
3: documented that you were somebody who was of interest to Leeds United earlier in the year that move didn't seem right for you at that moment in time why was Bournemouth right for you this summer
4: I think uh, I've never taken a, a, a team during the season for me having a, a pre-season time to prepare time to implement my ideas is really good and also I liked everything from from Bournemouth I think I'm uh, used to work with, like I said in the press conference, no teams that probably uh, have to win the, the respect from from the others, from the league, from uh, because of the whatever the history, uh, not so big stadiums, and I think it fits very well with how I understand the game, the players that I already have. I think they they fit really well with how we want to play and uh, I'm looking forward to, to to start the season, but uh, we have a lot of work to do until that day.
2: Interesting to hear you say you've got the players that fit the way you want to play. Just tell us what that way is. What can we expect from an Iraola Bournemouth team?
4: Our main idea is to try to play a little bit higher at the pitch, to play, to, to play more time in opposite half. We elevate our offensive volume, try to not concede so many set pieces, so many crosses in our own box. Uh, I think we need uh, everyone committed for this, especially the forward players. But uh, I think they are working really well. Uh, the team, the, the the players. It's still too early, but I think they are they are willing to to play this way and uh, let's start playing this this summer game so so we can continue improving. We broke the news on
3: TalkSport last night that you've had a bid for the Bristol City midfielder Alex Scott rejected. I won't ask you about him specifically because I know you leave a lot of the recruitment to the recruitment department. But do you have an idea of how many players you might sign this summer? Because Bill Foley, your owner in an interview on this station, suggested that it's going to be quite an active summer in the transfer market. Are we looking at half a dozen players possibly that could arrive?
4: Yeah, I, could, I couldn't say exact numbers, but it uh, should be something like this. I don't want to talk about players that are from other clubs. You know, I think we should respect this, but there are some positions that it's obvious we have to sign because some players have left. I'm thinking of uh, midfield because Jefferson left, left back. And there are other positions that if, if the chances are there, we, we, we should take them. The club is already working, has been working for, for last month. And... As I said before, for me, all the players are new, are new signings. So I'm much more focused in the ones we have. I try to prove them in different positions during pre-season so I have a more clear idea of of our needs and the, the positions where, where we need more players.
2: OK, you don't want to talk about players from other clubs, more about managers from other clubs. Julian Lepetigi, Mikel Arteta, Unai Emery and now Andoni Iraiola all four of you, from a very small Basque province in Spain of... Gif- I'm going to get this wrong. Gipuzkoa, Is that right? Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> Not very bad. Good. Uh, Alonso is also from that very small region as well. What, what What's going on in that very small 30-kilometre radius that makes uh, so many great coaches?
4: It's difficult to explain. We know each other, we've uh, faced each other, uh, but it's, it's really difficult. I think... Uh, we've been lucky we've been uh, especially they've been i have still things to prove because they've been really uh, successful and uh, for me as a coach is this is the challenge to come here to the premier league and face the best coaches in the world every week i will have a much probably much proven coach a lot of times than than me but i want to to take this challenge and 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 try to make it with the with the help of the of the footballers of course
2: they must eat different or drink different <laughs> in that
4: place surely. I don't know. I think uh, we are known because of our work ethic but a lot of areas are known because of this uh, but it's true that uh, in a short period a lot of uh, even some managers from La liga that have been successful, Jago uh, Barrasate, Manol and uh, they are they are performing really well.
3: I know you're over in Marbella at the moment. It's not that long until the Premier League season starts, and I've just cast my eye over your opening fixtures. It's quite a daunting start to the campaign, isn't it? You play Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, Brighton, who did so well last season, and Arsenal in your first seven fixtures. So it's going to be a really difficult introduction to you to the Premier League.
4: Yes, it's going to be really tough, really difficult. The the, the first games that we have to go by game by game. I'm now focusing, at most we can go is West Ham at home, and then Liverpool away. We From there, I don't want to look much farther. We know that it's a tougher start, uh, in theory, uh, difficult games, but you never know where the points are. At the end, you cannot start, like I said, uh, giving all the games against the top teams because you will need some points from there otherwise it will be very difficult to achieve the the goals Outspoken with White and Jordan.
0: there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care
3: Definitely be a big mess. He's a Liverpool captain. You know he's still going to be there at the end of the season. Yeah. So I'll see. I'm going. I'm fit as a fiddle. I'm still feeling like I can contribute massively to this Liverpool midfield.
2: England score! Jordan Henderson! This is probably the best version I've seen of him with us. He's had an outstanding influence on the group. The average
1: person earns not even that in, in four years. Mm. They're already rich people. I don't want our captain to go. I think he's. He... We're a lot better size when he plays. But he's done everything he can for us. These footballers are earning
3: money now, not for themselves, not for their children, not for the grandchildren, for the great-grandchildren.
2: I could never, ever think of doing that as a working class person. Uh, let's be completely honest. He, uh, you know, he's come from a working-class family, he come through uh, Sunderland, uh, went on loan at Coventry, played for Liverpool for many a year. He's done a brilliant, brilliant job for Liverpool as well. Anyone who looks at Dirt, uh, Jordan Henderson can see a role model in so many different ways. He's been brilliant for England, not just as a player, but also as an inspiration around the camp. He looks after the other players and drives them on. I remember then uh, when he was uh, he was sort of not entirely fit ahead of the Euros, I think. And uh, I remember there was a bit of a sort of a hurrah because Roy Keenan said, what, what what are they taking him along for? <laughs> to do the that. quizzes. Uh, and actually, you know, it, it was a bit of a joke from Roy. And Jordan and Roy were involved in a bit of text banter as well during that time. And Jordan said, hold on, I know you're only joking. I know it was a, a bit of a laugh and a joke. He respects Roy a lot because Roy gave him his debut at Sunderland many, many, many years ago. Uh, But we have got news in the last sort of 24 hours or so. And I I think I was taken by surprise by this because I said, I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think any of us did. Um, That he's leaning towards accepting this offer from the Saudi Pro League, Al Etifak. Well, yeah, I think first and foremost, when we were speaking with
3: Danny Murphy yesterday, we didn't realise that the, the vast figure that he was being offered, I don't think Jordan Henderson necessarily expected to be offered £700,000 a week either. Do you know how
2: much that is a year tax-free? Work it out. £36.4 million. And
3: he has to stay for two years as we've discussed already to get that tax-free. So it's it's going to be £72,500,000. Yeah, I mean, listen, it is life-changing money. My argument, I made it on breakfast this morning with Gabby Agbon-Lahore, is that he already earns life-changing money. And you mentioned he's come from a working-class background. He's fought his way from Sunderland to Liverpool. If you remember, his signing wasn't warmly received by Liverpool fans. He's Change that perception. He's captain the team. He's led them to win every major trophy there is to win. Is this how he really wants his legacy to be remembered? By cashing in and taking the Saudi Arabian money, especially when he's been so vocal about some of the social issues that clearly have marred that part of the world. I'm not convinced he needs to do this. I, I think there's still unfinished business for him at Liverpool, that they were poor by their standards last season. They want to get back to challenging Manchester City for the Premier League title. They certainly at the very least want to get back into the Champions League. Would his legacy not be better served, saying no to the money and continuing this story at Liverpool? That's before we even get into we, the European Championships next summer. If
2: he's playing in Saudi Arabia, Gareth Southgate can't take him well, to the Euros. Listen... Let's be completely clear, and I've said this to you a number of times, I'd be completely staggered if he took it because of one, his loyalty to Liverpool, two his legacy the values he upholds, three represents the fact that he is his England career is far from over at this moment in time. He's been posting images on social media of himself getting fit this summer. He's done that for a reason, to show people that he is ready and eager to go. And that's not but a message is, to Saudi Arabia. No, it's a message to Jurgen Klopp that I want to come back and play football week in, week out. And if they're selling Fabinho to Saudi Arabia, which I think probably is more likely, by the way, um, then I doubt that the, uh, Jordan Henderson will be one that leaves too. But it has taken this by surprise because Dominic King was on breakfast this morning and he was saying, look, you know... <laughs> there's, there's there's a lot more to discuss here than just the uh, the initial rumors there is substance to it
3: from the discussions that I've had over the last uh weeks week, particularly over the last 48 hours yeah it's um it is um it's very real it's uh, it's a it's a situation where um he could go um mm-hmm. i think there's there's still lots of discussions to be had um with you know he he's got to speak to Jurgen Klopp i mean another thing that you have to take into effect is is um liverpool would ask for a substantial transfer fee it wouldn't be a question of him just you know leaving just because Aleti Fak want, want to sign him there's still a lot, lot of lots to behind that but um it's a very very real um very very real option
2: and that's the key thing i think and dom sort of outlined that very well there then daily mail's northern football correspondent is that it's a very real Option. So before we start castigating him for for getting involved in in, in taking the offer, let's just remember that he hasn't taken the mm. offer yet. There's no there's no situation where he's decided to leave Liverpool. It may well be that he goes in when he returns to training. I think he returns to training in the next two days or something like that. And Jürgen Klopp says to him, "What's this about?" And he says. Well, I've been offered a loan of money, but you know I want to stay if I'm going to play regularly. And Jurgen Klopp says, well, we want you to stay because we want you to play regularly. And everything goes away, straight away. So there's, there's every possibility that that can happen. It may well be that he ends up signing an extension at Liverpool for an extra year, which is what i think probably is more likely to i don't happen. think he's going to get 700 grand a week but he's I definitely think, got to get 700 grand a week right. but it, it, that may well be the situation but ultimately you know let's just remember nothing's happened yet people make offers all the time let's not give him too much of a hard time he hasn't taken it and by the way there is arguments on both sides i completely understand why there would be slight worries about it yes i also understand by, about the fact that uh, he's a current england international but this is a life changing amount of money And you'd take it. It's all relative. He he, he already earns a life-changing amount of
3: money. He's Liverpool captain. They are one of the biggest clubs in the world. I don't see,
2: apart from the pocket full of cash, what he gets from going to Saudi Arabia. What if Jurgen Klopp tells him that he's not going to be playing next season and they're going to sign somebody else and he's only going to be a bit part player?
3: Yeah, I can't see that conversation taking place from Jurgen Klopp's side, but I think you're right. I think he does want certain assurances. We know that... There are big plans for a midfield overhaul. They've signed Alexis McAllister. They've signed Sir Bosley. But I, I think Henderson, above Fabinho, I think does still have a role to play for Liverpool. I can see why they would be willing to cash in on Fabinho. So I tend to agree with you. I think that's probably the more likely scenario. But I'm just saying, and you're right, we, we, we shouldn't jump to conclusions. I would have a lot more respect for Jordan Henderson if he said, no, thank you. I don't want that money. I'm going to stay at Liverpool.
2: Henderson's been one of the great supporters and most vocal players in support of the lgbtqi community that has got to be a massive factor as well uh, and and obviously it's clear that in saudi arabia homosexuality is illegal and there was a few people on social media last night saying that if he does move to saudi arabia that's going to be it's going to damage his legacy with that particular group of fans again i'll reiterate he hasn't taken the offer at this moment in time it's just an option for him that has been presented to his his people but at the same time not necessarily uh, is it um, a situation which cannot be rectified because we often talk about these players who go to Saudi, want, uh, a lot of us are, are saying, well, maybe they'll speak out about human rights, maybe they'll speak out, out about LGBTQI plus um, rights in those countries. Maybe, I mean, might be over-optimistic here, but maybe Jordan Henderson may well end up doing that. If, if, if that is the route that he decides to take. So just because it's an option, I don't think we should be saying, well, he's damaged his legacy with these supporters. He's done this, he's done that. Nothing's happened yet. We should wait and see how it how it pans out in the fullness of time. Welcome to the
1: Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan.
2: Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show.